0: are listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Today, I'm speaking with Lauren Woods, the recipient of the 2022 McClure Scanlon Visual Artist Residency Award. Woods is an assistant professor of art and art history at Auburn University. She is an artist whose practice and creative research explore the concept of mythic time. Artworks become a space to examine notions of nostalgia, desire, power, beauty, death, and embodied expression. Personal myth is developed visually across various mediums such as painting, video, and dance performances. Today, we'll speak with her about her work, the power of art, and the receiving of art, and her residency at the LES Center. Thank you for joining me today, Lauren.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. Like I said, you were the 2022 McClure Scanlon Visual Artist Residency Award winner. That's one of our residency awards for artists writers scientists if scientists want to apply for some of the awards we have four different awards and this is one specifically geared towards visual artists so you recently had a residency at the lds centers i think last month in june possibly
1: it was, july.
0: It was july yeah, yeah. so yeah. still last month <laughs> And you told me that on your drive up to the center, you decided that you wanted to work on a project inspired by the myth of Daphne and Apollo. So can you talk some about that myth for one, and then about the project and how the drive to the center and the center itself inspired the work you produced during your residency?
1: Okay, so I have been interested in working with narratives from Greco-Roman myths for quite a long time because I feel like there's always this aspect of archetypal characters, which can still seem very um, relevant in contemporary life. Uh, For a while I've been working with like the Artemis Diana character, like the Huntress. And probably three, two years ago, no, three years ago, I made this painting at a residency that was a little bit different about a character just playing usually my best ideas come when I'm not trying and I'm just kind of making things and I painted this like really strange tree that almost looked like a like a deer like a flayed deer or something and like with its legs splayed out and to me it embodied that myth even though it didn't look like a human it had this look of kind of like the terror she felt when she was turned into a tree I feel like it really embodied that and so I ended up titling it Daphne and it wasn't until a year later I during the beginning of COVID I was taking daily walks in a forest preserve here and I saw like the exact tree and I saw a tree that looked just like it And it really was amazing to me how I could kind of, you know, paint something a year before and then see it in real life. And it just really struck me as something important that I need to, you know, explore further. And it never just, it never felt like the right time to do it. I was working on other projects and on my, you know, on my way up, I was trying to be really open to, possibilities and not have a a idea for like a finished body of work I wanted to do because I I tend to work that way where I come up with a project and I work on these like really finished things and I never just play and do drawings and sketches and I was like I'm gonna make myself slow down and just draw and so as I was driving I was like oh maybe I could go back to the that idea because I haven't really delved into it farther and I think maybe subconsciously I'll, I remembered reading about Laurel Falls because the Laurel the Laurel tree is really integral to the story of Daphne and Apollo. So basically, Daphne was a I think she was a water nymph actually, and Apollo saw her, and some stories say that it was a bet with like I mean like Eros kind of Apollo insulted Eros and. About his power, and Eros wanted to show him he was in power, so he shot him with the arrow to make him fall in love with Daphne. And then she, he shot Daphne with an arrow to make her like absolutely hate Apollo, no matter what. And so, in the myth, he he spots her, and so it's kind of this idea, these themes of like, uh, and uh, what did I say? Like um, about consent and being observed in space and power which i feel like is very relevant right now especially with feminine form and feminine bodies to get away from apollo she begged her father to turn her into a tree and he turned her into a
0: laurel tree and
1: even after she became a tree he still took from her
0: (laughs) which definitely connects of course with laurel falls camp because there are mountain laurels all over that place i know it's maybe a different laurel tree i don't know all the botany and everything but you know one thing that i was thinking about looking at the works that you produced i thought about this piece i don't know if you've ever seen this from um norwegian artist you ever seen this
1: no that's awesome so
0: this is uh spring morning i think is the english title of it mars mordigan but it reminds me of Groot a little bit, too, because of the way the tree's coming out. Yeah. But but the way that the physical human form is embodied within kind of the natural form, too.
1: Yeah, that's a really awesome painting. I and I think
0: the, the work the work I was looking at that you produced, of course, with Daphne looks like kind of the physical form produced. But you also one thing I noticed, too, with the, the pieces you produced is the use of the veil, within that so can you talk about kind of you have some images where you have a veil kind of between two trees and then a figure behind the veil right
1: yeah so in addition to making drawings I also wanted to make some video works because I was in a new space and it was a very beautiful natural space that was perfect backdrop or not even a backdrop it stars in it (laughs) it's part of it you know and uh so the drawings i made were based off these videos and in the video series i decided i wanted to try to embody the character of daphne you know the the figure in the natural space you know kind of alone doing her own thing and i had this this veil that i've been i've used in multiple performances and Just visually, it's really beautiful to look at, the way it flows and makes lines and shapes. And so I brought it with me, not really knowing what I was going to do with it. Uh, And I also use a lot of veils in my paintings. And kind of a, a connection I have with veils is one, like weddings, like the wedding veil. And that's something that's kind of important to my work in general is, you know, tying these myths also up with my personal life as a southern woman and the expectations you have there (laughs) and then in this particular thing the veil became it it's like a, a thing that covers but you also see it's like almost makes you want to look more because you can't see something all the way but also it's like a veil between spaces I think of like real space and mythic space and so maybe that's what i was trying to do is like create the mythic space with the veil to where i could become the character well
0: it creates it creates those separations and that's something that lillian smith talks about a lot she talks about race and she talks about segregation with race but she uses the term segregation and that separating possibly with the veil or something else in a myriad of ways, in the ways that we're separated from knowing ourselves. And one of the things that she talks about in Trembling Earth, this was a piece that she did near the end of her life. Um, Joan Titus came up to interview her, and Joan Titus recorded and then transcribed it. She talks about this partly, and I kind of want to ask you about that, because one of the things she talks about in this quote, too, is the collaboration of art. So, I just kind of want to play what Lillian says. It is kind of a long quote, but I kind of want to play it and then ask you about that. Okay. So, this is Lillian from Joan Titus's recordings.
2: This collaboration of the dream is such a strange, strange kind of thing. And yet, there'd be no art without it. Uh, and without art, I can't imagine there being such a thing as. The human being, the person. Uh, we think of many important things to being a person and we tend in this political age we live in to think about our civil rights and our so-called human rights. But in a way the most important human right we have I think should be the freedom to collaborate in each other's dreams and that means the freedom to look at a painting and see there what we want to see. And sometimes the critic tries to keep us from seeing what we want to see. And that is an interesting thing, how there's always a segregator around trying to block off a view. Maybe when I look at a modern painting, I see something a little different from the abstraction that the uh, critic is talking about. But that's good that I see something different. But if I'm not careful, I shall feel a little uneasy about it because he has told me that I should see what he's seeing. But that isn't true. Uh, Each of us should see what the artist has whispered to us. And there are all kinds of echoes in every painting. He hears some of them, I hear others all kinds of shadows he sees some I see others
0: you know there's a lot to unpack there of course with with what she's saying but one of the things that stands out to me and one of the reasons I go back to that kind of passage is she talks about the collaboration of art that it's not just that artists producing something solo it's something I talk about with my students is that when you write it's not just you writing yourself even though you're sitting down by yourself writing it it's not just you you're collaborating and she says of course that the freedom to collaborate we need to have the freedom to collaborate in each other's dreams and we need to be able to think about the ways we work together so what what do you kind of think about that or how do you kind of see art working within a collaborative kind of space even as you as a visual artist producing something but then the audience receiving it right
1: Yeah. The art that usually moves me the most when I see it in either a space or just looking at it on the computer or whatever is art that is a little bit open to invite you in. It's more like a mirror. I like to think of art like visual art or performance as a mirror to the viewer to understand something about themselves. And so it's not it has to have a very specific meaning. I've actually had some people criticize my work because of that. Cause they're like, it's too, like, what are you trying to say here? You know, it's not clear. I'm like, that's the purpose. I want you to create your own story with it by looking at it. I'm presenting these, you know, these images and these symbols, but I don't really have, it doesn't have to mean something specific. And I think when, you know, the artists, allows the viewer to participate and that way it becomes it's alive and um it's a living thing even though you might be a, it might be a painting on the wall the the painting itself is still alive because the it's the viewer that activates it through their perception
0: and that's kind of what she says there you mentioned that thing where you have people ask you you know what are you trying to say here which audience members always ask the artist what they're trying to say. And of course, the artist can change whatever that message is being conveyed, right? I mean, that happens with authors all the time. Somebody asks an author, what are you saying with this line? And it could have five different meanings at five different times in the author's life. And that's one thing that she kind of points out here. She says, that's an interesting thing, how there's always a segregator around trying to block off a view. And maybe when I look at a modern painting, I see something a little different from the abstraction that the critic is talking about. Well, that's good that I see something different, but if I'm not careful, I shall feel a little uneasy about it because he has told me that I should see what he's seeing. And it makes me think about the fact that we need to experience it as as the audience, as the viewer, in collaboration with you, but also looking at it to try and find something out about ourselves. That's one thing you mentioned, too, that I think is important that, that Lillian Smith kind of gets at, too, is that we look at ourselves and see ourselves within Something we're reading, listening to, looking at—that's why we connect with it, right, on the personal level. And she kind of talks about that too. And this next question I had for you, she gave a speech in 1965 when she received the Queen Esther Scroll, which was awarded by the Women's Division of the American Jewish Congress. And she gave a speech entitled "The Role of the Poet in the World in the World of Demagogues." And there's different things here too, talking about the the role of art within kind of. I don't necessarily say politics, but the role of art to make change. But this is the quote. This is what she said during that speech. And she uses the term poet. But of course, poet can be used for any artist. But suppose the great poet does not show himself. Suppose the great artist does not appear. Then it is up to you, to every sensitive person on earth, to bring the poet inside himself alive. We cannot live without the poetic vision, even if we must create it ourselves. Even if this means transforming our ordinary selves into creative beings. For the big dangerous problems confronting our world today are not those the scientists can handle. They are not problems that reason alone can solve. They are not amenable to statistical methods and technological instruments. These these dilemmas come from our deepest roots, from the shadowy unconscious part of our nature. And it makes me think of the reason we need art. So why do we need art in all its forms to help us solve the dangerous problems confronting our world today? And your discussion of the mirror really made me think about that too.
1: Yeah. I actually read when I was on at the center, you know, there's books everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I happened to be drawn to this. It was a small, small, small book. I didn't feel overwhelmed by it. And I finished it while I was there um, by and I don't know how to pronounce the name properly. Anais Nen, is that how you say it? I'm not sure. <laughs> French. Um, and she was. It's like it was a book of her essays, and and she was talking about how the function. And similar ideas to what Lillian is saying. The function of art is to renew our perception, and by taking something familiar and giving new meaning to it. So it kind of makes you see the world in a more present way. I think being present is a really important part of art because you know we we're, we're kind of living in our past and future selves constantly. And personally making art is the the most I feel present like when I'm in the moment doing something making something or performing that's when I feel the most present in myself and my body and in the world and kind of everything brightens up a little bit, but also I've experienced it by viewing art. And I think that kind of allows for connection and um, dialogue is when you're present within yourself, you're not just kind of experiencing through others ideas, kind of like she was saying with the quote about the critic
0: what, what do you mean being present within yourself? What kind do you of
1: mean like, by that? How do you explain it? it is, I guess I...
0: Well, you mentioned, you, one thing you mentioned too that you said was when we're being present with ourselves, we're, we're embodying our past and future selves as long as the present, right?
1: Well, yeah, you, you have those, but you're not only those. I feel like when we get, when you start um, not paying attention to you know space around you you're always in the past like with regret or worrying about something you did or in the future thinking about what you need to do or and so when you're actually in the present experiencing what's in front of you kind of makes you feel more human and able to relate to others because you're not only thinking about the possibilities of things i don't know how to explain it right <laughs>
0: but, but it makes me think one thing i think about with art is the collaborative aspect that Lillian is talking about that I think about is when we come to a piece, whether we view something, whether we read something, whether we listen to something, right, we're coming to that piece with the past that we have with us, for one, and with yep. what we bring with it. And what we bring with it is different than what somebody else brings with it, right? Yeah. I think the future involves that, too. And I think the the work of art as well can help us kind of maybe view the future in a different way in the present and the past. So when I kind of talk to my students about the collaborative nature of writing, and again, I bring this over to, to viewing or listening to art too as well. It's that we're in conversation with the artists and with others. So with writing, for example, when somebody writes an essay, they're sitting down solo by themselves, but they're in conversations with the people that they're reading and engaging with. They're bringing in that past and present and the future. And when, if I sit down and when I sit down and write a song, right. Cause I play music. So if I sit down and write a song, I'm engaging with the things that have influenced me, not just the audio things, but also other things as well. Right. So yeah. I kind of think about that, but I also think too, one thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, if this isn't what you're getting at, again, you mentioned the mirror and it's a, it's a reflection of ourselves. Right. Yeah. And I think that's also that partly bringing in the things that we've had with us. It's either illuminating something that we brought with us that we didn't know about or it's heightening something that we already have with us that we do know about.
1: Yeah. I guess I'm trying to articulate something really poorly um from personal experience. So I guess this idea of you know how art can kind of open up connections. I experienced it really deeply when I was performing and all the rehearsals and things, the past that really affected it, you know, and years of training, but then in the moment, for one, you're pretending to be something that you're, you know, it's not you, but then it's kind of ironic in that moment, I've never felt more present in my body. Maybe it's about like this idea of actually feeling present within. Our and when body. you're
0: talking, and when you're talking about performing, you, you're, you're a trained ballet dancer. You've done ballet performances and dance, right? Yeah. And talking about that, you're making me think too about, I haven't performed music in a long time in front of people. I've started acting because my daughter got me involved in acting a little bit, but. I remember too when performing music, the act of performing itself. And I haven't thought about it as being present at that moment, but there's something transcendent about it, I guess you would say.
1: Yeah. It's, like you're transcending yourself, but then right. you more yourself at the same time. But in that act, the audience is also kind of transcending and they're like joining you in a space. And it's just like this really interesting, you know, it's only couple hours maximum or a few minutes you know but there's this this openness of like connection that's intangible has you can't really put into words that I feel like is the power of art <laughs> and I think too it's something that you know I think I've you know I don't I'm not an expert in this by any means but like reading history and anthropology there used to be more of this in human culture as a thing, like with seasons and transitions, but now we don't really have like community. Not very, I mean, there are, I guess, with like people going to church and things, but.
0: What's this, it's it's this communal engagement with one another. It's this collaboration with one another that she's talking about as well. Right. This collaboration, this communal engagement show us images and information about ourselves but it also shows us images and information about the community that we're a part of too right it is i use the term when i'm thinking about performing music it's cathartic um on a personal level you know i can't tell you how many times after performing a show just being emotionally drained not just from the physical aspects but also you know just what you're doing but I kind of think about that. It is a communal kind of, it is a transcendent experience that where you're doing things together and you're engaged together. And again, that's not, that's something I keep going back to that I always want to drive home to students and anybody is that everything we do is collaborative and joined together. Yeah. No matter what it is. I don't have, if I see one of your pieces in a museum or if I see Austro's Mars Morgan in a museum, he's not there with me. To engage with me yet i am still engaging with him
1: yeah the marks are there that's the presence of the artist or right
0: the i remember <laughs> so i saw an edvard monk and i don't remember which piece it was it was a boy on a beach or whatever it was a huge piece but it's the first time i really kind of thought about you know what this present is those marks like i went up to the side and the brushstrokes he's doing those right he has those and you see the clumps of paint that are there yeah so in that moment he's kind of there along with me even though he's not there he's been dead for how many years right
1: yeah i guess to me painting and dance are really intertwined because they're the opposites of each other like the the dance is
0: dancing is more ephemeral
1: it is a thermal, So it's like all the marks and it's in time and the audience is experiencing it as it goes along and then it goes away. And then painting, the artist is doing, you know, the action and the marks and everything. And then it's like frozen in time. And then the viewer goes and experiences it later. And so they're kind of like, they're
0: similar, but they're opposite. So now we're getting into deeper discussions of (laughs) time and everything too, but But I think about that, too, with my daughter, because my daughter dances. She's been dancing for God knows how long um, since she was, I think, before she started kindergarten. But, you know, a performance is like that. Same thing with music performance, right? You can record it. Yeah, but it's different if you see it in person. It is kind of that ephemeral kind of passing thing. And if you weren't there to experience it with others communally, then it's gone. It's not the same yeah yeah the painting is different,
1: yeah. One of my teachers always talked about this idea of like how the best artwork has like this idea of an eternal present. And I think that's the artwork I was talking about that was open that becomes a mirror. It's not a wall that it has to mean one thing. And um I think same with writing and poetry. Like, go back to veil (laughs) or maybe a net. It's like something that's like there, but you can see, you know, through it to another space, but also it reflects something back to you. Um, It's
0: this this question of why do we keep going back to certain works of art or certain themes? I mean, you mentioned that thing too about looking back at Greco Roman narratives and myths, right? I mean, that's what Star Wars is based on. Yeah. Why why do we keep going back to these certain kind of things, right? I think it is because they reflect something about ourselves.
1: Yeah, which I guess is the purpose of it all.
0: <laughs> yeah. But it also makes me think, too, because another thing that she points out in that quote is that artists teach us more than scientists can. We can't solve the world's problems just with scientists or technology, Right. And that really kind of stands out to me because I think about the ways that art serves to reflect ourselves, for one. It also serves as a way for us to experience the experiences of others. And it also serves as a way to us to be in communication with others to help solve these problems, right? I mean, there's a myriad of problems that face us at different times, and art can be a way to actually help us work through and Discuss and also hopefully find solutions to these problems.
1: Yeah, I guess it's bringing humanity into something that might be very logical. So if you only think in terms of logic and, you know, answers and not have the aspect of something that might be uncertain or Can't understand why it seems important to us and there too it wouldn't be fully human and have any point to us i guess although some science is very artistic (laughs) i feel like they're very intertwined so i don't want to separate them
0: (laughs) well that's what i was going to say too like all these things are intertwined we can't separate them i mean i think about scientists that i know who you know do music or something like that right yeah, they all everything informs everything else. And that that's what I keep thinking about, too, when I teach is the fact that I want students to understand that just because I'm teaching you literature and we're reading books doesn't mean that this isn't connected to your biology class in some way
1: yeah, <laughs> or something
0: like that. All these things are interconnected. We we have this kind of I don't know if it's necessarily just a human need, but we have this we've gotten to this place where we segregate, we, we segregate if we want to use Lillian Smith's term the way she uses it. We segregate disciplines off from one another. And these ideas off from one another where they don't overlap, right? And they need yeah. to be overlapping. That's also where the collaboration needs to occur. So we put up a veil where we can see between, but we can't touch and interact.
1: Yeah. Uh I, I guess I have Piedmont is a liberal arts. Right. College. I went to a liberal arts college and it's a little bit different. Things do tend to intermesh more, right. But when you're trying to you know get some type of education with the goal of it, mainly just being for a job, that's where it all gets really separated. And you're not creating a well-rounded thinker when you're not engaging all the other aspects of education.
0: Right. If you if your if your main goal with, with education, no matter what level you're at, is to do it so you can get the job and to get the position, then you're going to shut out everything else that's around you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I teach figure drawing, so it's interesting. That's something. It's very specialized, but it it actually is really good for lots of different fields to experience that class. I have. I've had uh, pre-med students in there and I tell them, I I joke, I'm like, I really feel like no one should be a surgeon if they can't even draw a body. (laughs) And then I've had pre-dentistry students because they need to have some type of artistic, you know, skill to do what they do. (laughs) Architecture, I think is really good to have in there because, you know, they're designing spaces for bodies. So if they don't understand how a body works and is in a space you know, it's it's helpful for them. I have had industrial design students, um, environmental design students, and maybe even writer, you know, like all different people. So it's it's interesting how that one class can be useful for lots of different disciplines.
0: Yeah, I mean, every class, I would say the humanities. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, that's our little, our our banner we're trying to get out to the
0: world exactly okay so to to wrap up you know you spent two weeks there why would you suggest to individuals that they should apply for a residency or apply for the residency awards next year or just just a residency in general what would be kind of your pitch to them to go to the les center to work
1: okay i've I guess I've recently started doing residencies. I haven't done them for very long. And this was my third one so far. And it's been my, my favorite one um, for a few reasons. One, just the space itself is really beautiful and inspiring. And I I get this feeling of, the space itself you feel the presence of the past there and all the different things that happen there and there's this kind of it's what would be the right word it's not a weight it's like a positive thing it's it's very you feel this like spirit of the place while you're there
0: yeah
1: and it it really is interesting to experience and then to this this the spaces themselves are just really conducive to creating It's a, a great place to really focus on your work and not have a lot of outside stimulation. And I think the fact that it is, you know, smaller if you're someone that wants to focus on your work and not necessarily go and try to network to, it's a really great place for people that just wanted to work. <laughs> you you meet some people, but everybody's there and focused and it's really a beautiful thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And there's not a ton of spaces so that that also uh, helps too. Yeah. So thank you for joining me today, Lauren.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media, or get in touch with us at LES Center at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about living at East Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu/les.